Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. Take two because Rachel forgot to turn her microphone on. Here we are. I'm just glad I noticed it before we (laughs) got any deeper. And it was like, oh, just right at the beginning. Here's 30 minutes of just Callie talking. (laughs) Nobody needs that. (laughs) No, I am super excited for this episode. I think that this is going to help a lot of people. I really do. This is one of those on the surface. It's like, how is that even related? But then you get into it and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. This is everything. It's everything. So without any further ado, because I know you guys are just chomping at the bit, what are they going to talk about? We're going to talk about surgeries, specifically abdominal surgeries. Yes. So buckle up. This is for every person who just said, oh yeah, I have my gallbladder out. No big deal. Or I had a C-section. I don't need pelvic floor physical therapy. This one's for you. Or every woman who's ever said, I just want a hysterectomy so I don't have periods anymore. Do you? Do you really want a hysterectomy? I've said that before. (laughs) For sure. I'm like, just, you know what? Let's just rip it out. Let's just rip it out. It'll be fine. I don't really need it. Well. Well. Well, well. Well. Since becoming a pelvic floor physical therapist, I've decided I would rather die than have a hysterectomy. Or my gallbladder out. Or my gallbladder. I don't care. I don't care. Let it explode. I'm never letting anybody cut me open ever. No. No. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of different surgeries today. Um, If you need a quick refresher on overall anatomy, go take a listen to our third episode um, that we did talking all about anatomy and function and all the good stuff. All good things. All good things. Yes. Um, let me just get on my soapbox so I can get off of it for the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um, so any orthopedic surgery, you get your knee replaced, you get a shoulder scope, you get back surgery, just about any orthopedic or any surgery. It's like, thank you for coming in today. Here's your surgery. Here's your PT referral. Have a nice life. Except for abdominal surgeries. Why? We're still getting cut open. We're still like, going through a major change. So I, this prompted the question, why do they get those after surgery? Why after a knee surgery do you get therapy? Well, you want to break up scar tissue, right? You want to make sure you're getting back that strength, that range of motion, and you want to restore proper body function. Makes sense. Now, if you have a hysterectomy, C-section, gallbladder, anything we're about to talk about, you still want to break up scar tissue, You still want to regain strength and proper range of motion because I don't care where you cut, you're probably cutting through and disrupting some type of muscle tissue. Um, And you want to restore proper body function. So all of those things that apply to those orthopedic surgeries are going to apply to what we're going to talk about today. But patients aren't getting the referrals. And another thing kind of on top of that too is scar tissue. Like every time, every patient that has ever had a knee replacement, they've been told, okay, you need to make sure that you're bending your knee because if you don't get that flexion back, it ain't going to happen. And you need to work that scar. Rub it, massage it, move it, touch it to get not only to get the nerves firing again and get that sensation back, but also to make sure that the skin around it and the muscles around that scar are able to move properly so that it's not a restriction in the skin that's causing you limited range of motion or strength. We are not told to do that. 
when it comes to these abdominal surgeries or perineal surgeries, perineal mm-hmm. scarring either. And like, episiotomy is a form of surgery. You are cutting through tissue, often muscle. That counts in that my is, book. Yes, that is an incision. A lot of times they'll they'll use stitches to, to sew it back up. And then next thing you know, you have this restriction from that scarring between the vaginal opening and the anus. There's a lot of important things that happen down there. And if that cannot move and contract and respond properly we're gonna have so many problems and having bowel movements maintaining bowel and urinary continence having sex all of those things are just as important as walking oh yeah so if your physician has not told you these things your surgeon has not told you these things that is where we come in we are going to hopefully shed some light on the subject and if you do have some of these scars you can start working on them And if you decide you need to come into therapy, you can come see us. Please and thank you. So, um, kind of the way we structured this, or at least in my mind, (laughs) was kind of going through a couple of different surgeries, breaking down kind of what happens and what the effects of that can be. Perfect. Um, I was thinking, let's start with appendectomies that's how I started oh, too we I don't really this. plan ahead no. <laughs> we kind of just like say hey we're going to talk about this and then we both kind of go do like our own like put it together ourselves mm-hmm. which is kind of nice because then we kind of like oh I didn't even think about yeah. looking at that up or like that's a good point so and it feels ask. like an authentic conversation like I like yeah I try to make this we try to make this as much as like we're just sitting down talking like we would be talking to you guys just hanging out so um, so an ap- appendectomy is actually extremely common. The appendix is just a little part of the intestine that really has no real function that we know of. Um, there's some debate on why it's even there, but it's not a problem until it becomes irritated or inflamed. And at that point you can have abdominal pain, tenderness over what's called McBurney's point. Um, and if it gets that bad, it has to come out. And so they just make an an abdominal, lower abdominal incision and they pull it out somehow. Grey's Anatomy talks about it. I was going to say, if you've seen Grey's Anatomy, you know, when the interns try to do an appendectomy on themselves just for funsies, um, that's basically kind of, kind of what we're talking about. So yeah, we really have no idea what the appendix does. Our conference room is haunted. Oh, we have a ghost in here. Hello, ghosty. Would you like to be on the podcast? Yes, it did this like three times the other day when I was recording. Oh, so the door, terrifying. so what we're talking about, there's a door in our conference room and we shut it, but sometimes it still just slams. Oh, fun. So okay. we have an invisible visitor with us today. Well, um, so really the appendix is only taken out when it is inflamed or swollen. This can be caused by a number of things, whether that's hardened stools that actually block the opening of the appendix. Um, the appendix kind of acts as a tube almost kind of right next to where the large intestine starts. And so if that stool is blocking the opening to it, then it can't kind of secrete the things that it needs to and it becomes inflamed um, can also be caused by enlarged tissues on the walls of the appendix or even by an infection in the digestive tract or somewhere else in the body can also be caused by inflammatory bowel disease which we have also touched on mm-hmm. so essentially it's useless until it becomes mad and then it has to come out because yes. if it bursts then you've got 
bowel material leaking into the body oh. and it's just not a good situation so, so they just take it out you can go what's called septic and i actually a friend of mine this happened to them in high school and it feels it feels just like cramping basically it's just it's is what it is and so unless you kind of are like aware you know what it's you know kind of more so on the right side lower abdomen that could be the appendix that's kind of like one of the hallmark signs that it's your appendix and he just like ignored it and ignored it and ignored it next thing you know it ruptured and he went septic and he like was in the hospital for quite a while and had to have like his incision down his belly is massive like it was crazy that is bizarre it was crazy I have also heard stories of women or like young teenage girls that have been having appendicitis and didn't realize it that their appendix was about to burst and they just ignored it because they had period cramps that were worse than that so I actually saw and I don't have the research in front of me to quote it but it it literally the research was saying women are more likely to die from a burst appendix because they just think it's period cramps, it's period or, cramps. or it's not as bad as period yeah. cramps so they don't think there's anything wrong yeah I'm like well my period hurts worse than this and it's <sighs> about that time so oh well I'm fine that kind of shook me a little bit I was right. like, uh. <laughs> so definitely if you're having that right lower quadrant is kind of how we describe the the abdomen the belly if you were to kind of make a line vertically through the belly button and then horizontally you have a right upper quadrant a left upper quadrant a right lower quadrant and a left lower quadrant so if you're having pain on that right lower quadrant side go check it out yeah just to be on the safe side and you can also do i mentioned mcburney's point you can actually do a little test on yourself that's how we're taught to test for it in pt school if you'll take your hands and place them kind of between your hip bone and your right hip bone and your right pubic bone, just in that lower area. Push down, let off quickly. If that release, that letting off quickly is what hurts, that's called rebound tenderness. And that's a pretty clear indication that your appendix is inflamed. So, okay, if it has to come out, what, what does that mean? Like, what should you do if you have your appendix taken out? Well, you're most likely going to have a scar just like with a knee surgery or anything else, you need to be working on tissue mobility. So when that is healed, not when it is capped over, not when it is still bleeding, not when there are stitches, when it is starting to heal and you're getting that kind of pinky, um, puckery red scar tissue, just start gently massaging that in all directions. Um, and start trying to get blood flow, try to get tissue healing, try to prevent as much of that unhealthy, adhesive scar tissue from taking hold and bearing down just keep that skin mobile keep blood flow there to save yourself some trouble in the future yeah there's a couple different ways that they actually do this surgery and this is going to be a common theme through all of the surgeries that we're going to talk about today um either an open approach which is a couple inch long incision kind of made right around that organ so that they can kind of get to it or more becoming more and more popular is a laparoscopic approach. So that's when you might have like one to three kind of very, very small incisions. They insert tubes into those incisions, one of which is a camera that they can kind of see what they're doing with the other two kind of handles, I guess. So I I want to talk about laparoscopic procedures because they are becoming more and more popular and the scars are tiny. The scars are this big. And so people 
get it in their head that there wasn't a ton done. And maybe surgeons think that way too, because they're like, oh, it's just a tiny scar. They are inserting tubes in camera. I've watched a hip scope, which is a laparoscopic procedure. The scars are little, but it's still not a gentle procedure. Oh, no. Um, yeah. They're getting in there. Yeah. They're getting in you're there. having tissue that is stretched and moved and all kinds of ways, still putting you at risk for some of the things we're talking about. So just because you have it laparoscopically doesn't mean you need, you're, the, you're just going to get off scotch-free. Yeah. Doesn't negate scar tissue. Right. So that's all I have on appendixes. So that, that's the biggest thing on that. If you have that done, you need to make sure you're working those scars, you're moving your body, doing, you know, torso stretching, torso mobility, just making sure you're not letting that get adhered down essentially yep um gallbladder you want to talk about the gallbladder let's talk about the gallbladder we've talked about this (laughs) i've looked and maybe maybe we should do the research maybe that should be our next project i don't know i don't have research to tell you guys why and i don't know if it's i see pelvic floor dysfunction and um a gallbladder removal a cholecystectomy the official term I think is just a super common surgery and it's a coincidence or if there's something to gallbladder removal causing pelvic floor I I truly do not know but so often when people are talking about pelvic floor dysfunction and I ask about surgeries this guy pops up all the time all the time and a lot of times I don't even realize it either so like I'll specifically ask like have you had your appendix taken out no have you have your had your gallbladder taken out oh yeah I forgot like you know 15 years ago I did so the gallbladder is like it looks like a deflated balloon it's kind of what it looks like and it's green and it sits right underneath the liver in the right upper quadrant of the abdomen. So kind of like right beneath your rib cage. And it basically stores bile, which is a, a digestive juice that helps us to digest and break down our food. And so there is a vast and complicated network of reflexes that are involved with eating, right? Even just seeing food can make your mouth start to water and it actually starts that digestive process even when you just look at food. Uh, that's me with macaroni and cheese. So the act of eating sends that signal to the gallbladder. Hey, empty that bile into the small intestine. So it secretes that right into the small intestine, helps us with all of that digestion, absorbing all of the nutrients and minerals that we need from our food. So that's pretty important. But again, there's a vast network that's involved with this digestive process. So we really can kind of get by without our gallbladder. It does have a function, so it's different from the appendix in that way, but um, inflammation can can happen pretty quickly. Yeah, you can get inflammation, gallstones, all kinds of things start going wrong, and a surgeon makes a point or makes the call of this needs to come out or it doesn't need to come out. Um, But just like the appendix, if it comes out, even if it was laparoscopic, you're still going to have scar t- tissue, still going to have some of that adhesion. And so working on that tissue mobility early is going to be key in as far as um, maintaining that function and preventing restrictions. So very, very similar to the appendix in, in terms of, of that. A couple of symptoms, just want to touch on these like really, really quick for inflammation of the gallbladder, Um, pain in the abdomen, nausea, vomiting, fever, chills, 
belching, heartburn, even yellowish color of your skin or the whites of your eyes, tea-colored urine, and light-colored stools, and probably one of my favorites, it can refer pain to the right shoulder. Like, I remember learning about this in PT school, and our professors were like, okay, like, this patient has pain in the right shoulder, all of your range of motion, strength testing does not exacerbate their pain, they tell you that it hurts, um kind of during the day and it feels better after meal times I'm after like, they eat I'm like I'm they're like, lying oh. <laughs> yeah I'm like oh so they're just a malingering patient they just want to hang out and get surgery and mis- or get therapy all day long and it's like nope actually that's a that's a sign that their gallbladder is actually involved so I thought that was really interesting yeah but surgical procedure is pretty similar to an appendectomy again you can either either have an open incision or a laparoscopic procedure so with these though I would I did find this interesting and, and maybe a contributing factor to why there's a lot of scar tissue that is involved with the gallbladder um, this incision can actually be up to six inches long so it's it's a lot. The appendix was about four inches max. Um, and with the laparoscopic incisions, um, those are about three to four incisions, whereas the appendix was one to three. So a little bit more scar tissue. It is kind of tucked in, like, I, like we said, underneath the liver. So they kind of got to dig around a little bit to get to it, which also might contribute mm-hmm. to scar tissue buildup and everything like that. But um, yeah, and one of one of my best friends, she is actually in medical school, and she listened to one of our previous episodes where we were just kind of on our soapbox about <laughs> what the heck is up with these gallbladders. And she texted me, and she's like, "Yeah, no, you're absolutely right." Like, <laughs> she's like, "We don't know what it is, but it's something happens, and they just it's make so thing. much scar tissue." <laughs> so, moral of the story: if you can keep your parts, keep your parts, keep your parts. <laughs> okay, um, let's start to get in a little more like pelvic specific. So, um, C-sections, C-sections, a lot of people think if they know about pelvic floor therapy, I had a C-section, this doesn't apply to me. Um, we're probably going to do a whole episode on C-sections, so it does, but in terms of this being a surgery, this is a surgical procedure. Anyone who's had a C-section is saying amen to this right now. They cut through skin. They cut through fascia. They cut through muscle. They cut through your organs. They take your intestines out. This And is, they just put them on the table. This is a surgery. This is a... This is birth, but this is surgery. This, this is a is, major surgery. Yeah, this is no small thing. And I... Like... I, I've heard some people almost act like when they had a C-section, they took the easy way out or like moms. I'm like, that? No. Like C-section moms are fighters. I That is that is no small feat. And now you've got to care for this infant after a major surgery. So you're not only trying to recover yourself, not that you don't have to recover from vaginal birth. All mamas who have babies are heroes. You're amazing. Awesome. Doing, doing great work. But a C-section is, that's crazy crazy things your body goes through so much with that and so the care for your body after should reflect the trauma that your body has been through especially if it's an emergency c-section because that I've, means it's not pretty yeah and i i think that i've noticed kind of a little bit more restrictions in along that scarring when it is kind of like a an emergency decision c-section 
kind of situation because you take not only the trauma of, like we've said, cutting into the body. I'm not kidding. They literally take your intestines out of you and just like put them to the side on the, ta- on the surgical table. I don't know why that blows my mind so much and just traumatizes me. That. Yeah. They literally just like scoop everything out to the side and plop it over there and then they do what they need to do. That does traumatize. Ugh. Like, oh my God. No, no. And then they literally have to cut inside of the uterus. Like, it's not like the baby's just kind of floating around in no. your abdomen. It's not like you just, you know, move some small intestine over here, move the stomach over there. Oh, look, there's the baby out and everything's great. No, they have to cut into the uterus. Then they have to spread that to the side. Then they usually have to break the amniotic sac, you know, break your water essentially, and then take the baby out and then take the placenta out, then stitch up the uterus, then put all your intestines back Which in means and stitch up your belly. That's what blows my mind. So there, that uterus is already stretched to the max essentially. So then we're cutting it and stretching it more. And it's just like the amount of recovery that is involved with this. And they're cutting through muscle, your transversus abdominis, which is best friends with the pelvic floor, by best the way. Friends. We've talked about that some. That thing is getting sliced right through. So just like after you have a ACL or knee replacement, sometimes that quad is slow to fire because it's been messed with surgically. A lot of my C-section mamas have a hard time activating that transversus abdominis, which is one of the key stabilizers to your trunk, which is like the thing that holds you upright and makes you able to function. It's no big deal. It's fine. It's just like a casual muscle. Um, Yeah. And so to think that you don't need any kind of help recovering after that, or to be told like by a professional that you don't need any help. I kind of question that a little bit, especially if you're having any kind of problems at the very least, you should be provided with ample education on, you know, are you activating good there after that? Is that scar, are you properly taking care of that scar? Because almost every C-section mom I see, I hear some common things. I can't feel around that scar or I can't wear jeans because it irritates that scar. I can't wear, most of my C-section mamas have some kind of problems or a lot of them are upset because they feel like they can't lose weight around that scar because it's so adhered down. And so if we educate them early on and we teach them, if we teach you guys how to move that tissue and keep it mobile and make sure your body's functioning properly, it's going to prevent you from problems along, along the way. And it's way easier to address that scar tissue during the healing process than it is once it's healed. And you're going to get way better results if you start. Start early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not next Saturday, but the one after, um, I'm actually going to, or at least participating in a webinar on how pelvic floor physical therapists are kind of helping to provide that care in the hospital after a C-section. And so it is, I'm like, I'm so excited about it. And we're going to kind of do like a recap after that's going to be like one of our episodes. We're just going to kind of do a recap of like, Hey, this is what we learned. This is things that you can kind of be knowledgeable of Mm -hmm. going into a C-section. If you know that it's a plan C-section, I was a plan C-section. It happens. And so just kind of making sure that you have that information ahead of time. So we're super excited to kind of do like a little update on, on, on C-sections and kind of the, the care that you can receive afterwards. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we're not getting into 
everything about c-section and the pelvic floor because we're gonna do a whole episode on that eventually so if you're hungry for more on the c-section if you're a c-section mama um stay tuned because that is coming coming. coming we just we can't get everything in this episode um some other just surgery that I briefly want to mention, um, having endometriosis, scar tissue removed, um, ovarian cysts, things like that, all the same rules apply. Anything in that area, you want to be sure you're keeping your abdomen moving, that you're working that scar tissue, all the things. Um, and now the holy grail of surgeries, the... <laughs> monster a monster <laughs> the bane of my existence literally no, not really sometimes they're useful hysterectomies yeah. <sighs> hysterectomies so this is a surgical removal of the uterus the womb the baby factory <laughs> those are all the names i can think of <laughs> um and there's a couple ways to do this I mean, the procedures are the same. You can, like, some have a transvaginal hysterectomy. Some people have an open hysterectomy. There's a number of ways to do this. You can have a total where they take the uterus and the ovaries or a partial where they just take your uterus, they leave your ovaries. It just depends on the situation and the reason for the hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, bunch of different reasons to have a hysterectomy. Uterine fibroids are a big one. Um, Basically, it's just a development of fibrous masses within the uterus. A uterine prolapse, which we've talked about, we can help with physical therapy. Cancer of the uterus, the cervix, or of the ovaries. Um, Any abnormal vaginal bleeding, chronic pelvic pain, adenomyosis, which is a thickening of the lining of that uterus. And I think probably the number one reason is endometriosis. And I've seen, I have a couple patients right now that are like young, like in their twenties. And they're like, all I want is a hysterectomy because my endometriosis is so bad and I'm in so much pain. All I want is a hysterectomy and it breaks my heart. It really does. And that is one of those deals. I think endometriosis is a proceed with caution hysterectomy because a lot of the research shows that sometimes having the hysterectomy doesn't always fix the problem. And so unless if it is a situation like that where it's due to pain or heavy bleeding, make sure you've talked to your doctor, make sure you have a doctor that listens to your concerns and that you have exhausted every avenue before trying that because I'll just go ahead and say my patient win today. I had a patient who she has suspected endometriosis. That's what her doctor thought. She's never, you have to have surgery to diagnose officially with endometriosis. Um, and she had horrible, horrible period cramps. Well, she told me today, as we've been working on her pelvic floor dysfunction, she had her period for the first time with almost no cramping. Oh, that's amazing. As her pelvic floor dysfunction improves. So I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, but a hysterectomy does not always fix some of the problems with endometriosis. So that's something to consider. I want to briefly talk on reasons not to have a hysterectomy. Number one, if you don't know why you're having one, I'm going to go ahead and speak for our doctors here in Amarillo. We've got a really, really good group of doctors. I don't typically see this with any of our doctors that are currently practicing or that doctors around here. So our OBGs around here are doing amazing. fantastic. But... I have had patients come in from other areas or older patients who 
because I always ask why when they tell me they had a hysterectomy I always want to know like why what happened and I've had more than one patient tell me either they didn't know the doctor just said it needed to come out and they didn't know why didn't give them any explanation or just in case I had one patient whose doctor took her uterus out just in case just in case she ever got cancer no familial history of cancer nothing like that and so if you don't know why you're having a surgery um ask questions and if your doctor won't answer your questions find another doctor yeah that goes for literally any surgery of any kind if you don't know why they're taking something out putting something in replacing something just going in to have a look around like find another doctor get a second opinion somebody that can sit down with you and explain your symptoms are x y and z which is why i want to do a b and c so many times I think patients feel intimidated because they're like, oh, they've got these letters behind their names. I don't know how to intelligently speak about this. I don't know what's going on. I know nothing about the body. Okay, this is your body. It's their job. So don't be afraid to ask questions. If you don't feel educated, if you don't know, have them educate you. And I, if your doctor or your physical therapist or whoever is not willing to do that and tell you what is going on, why it's going on, why they're recommending this course of treatment, explain what you don't know, find a new one. One of my favorite sayings is if your only tool in your tool belt is a hammer, all of your problems will look like nails. And so if you go to a surgeon they're going to find something to operate on. That's Mm -hmm. what they do. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, all they're capable of doing. They're medical doctors. However, if you go to somebody that does surgery day in and day out, and that's all they do, they're going to find something to operate on. And so making sure that you have that knowledge and understanding, okay, yes. Okay. Surgery is an option for me. That is choice. That is a choice. I can also try medication. I can also try behavioral modifications. I can also try lifestyle changes. I can also try physical therapy or other, you know, restorative care. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are your choices. Especially if your problem is something like pain or pressure, like all of these other things. Now, if it's cancer, things that are very clearly not going to change. If you have cancer and your doctor tells you to have surgery, um, it's fine to get a second opinion, but we're not going to therapy away cancer, unfortunately. I wish we could. Wish we could. We can't. But if it's just like, I have horrible cramping, horrible bleeding, I have abdominal pain, pelvic pain, all these other things, and you don't want surgery, I would highly encourage you to ask your doctor, what are my options? And they may say, well, I don't know this, if this will work as well, but try conservative options first is my, that is my one piece of advice yeah that's that's our recommendation and that's coming from a physical therapist standpoint neither kelly nor i have had major surgeries no so we can't even speak from experience on uh, on that topic we're not telling you to ignore your doctors we're not telling you to avoid surgery at all costs these are just some things that we see as therapists as kind of seeing people in the aftermath of that surgery and a lot of times these surgeries a lot of times they are necessary for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So we just want you guys to have all of the information that is available to you 
that way you know what your other options are. I've had a lot of patients that just kind of said, well, I wish I had had this before I had surgery. I wish I had known about this so that I, you know, that surgery probably wasn't even necessary in the first place. I could have avoided that. And so we just, we, like, like I said, we just want you guys to be educated. We want you to know what your options are. We're not telling you to ignore your doctors. No, but we also want you to be able to have a conversation with your doctors. Sometimes patients just don't know what questions to ask or how to ask the questions. And the doctor may not think to answer it because doctors are busy people. Surgeons are busy people. And so if you can, if nothing else, maybe this episode, you know, you have to have your gallbladder out. And so you can ask your doctor, what kind of care should I do postoperatively? How should I manage scar tissue? Do you think it would be beneficial? Can I try pelvic floor therapy just to learn how to manage it? Or just whatever it is, we're trying to give you guys the tools to go into those surgeries if you have to have them and come out with the best possible outcome. Exactly. Exactly. We're just trying to look out for you guys. Exactly. Because we love you guys. We love you. Okay. We couldn't do this without you guys. No. And we love hearing ourselves talk, so. We do. (laughs) Okay. Next surgery I kind of wanted to touch on real quick um, is a tubal ligation, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. getting your tubes tied. Um, This is a form of relatively permanent birth control. Basically, both of those fallopian tubes are blocked or cut. Um, The effectiveness of preventing pregnancy is almost 100%. So very, very effective. Um, Your periods and sex actually, like sexual activity, remain completely normal. However, it does not prevent STI. So you still have to practice safe sex. Always. It can be reversed, which I thought was super cool. I didn't know that. It can be reversed with a 50 to 80% success rate. And I actually have a patient that was one of the first in the United States to have her tubal ligation reversed with a successful pregnancy afterwards. Interesting. Yep. Yep. So that was super cool. That was super cool. This is a good decision for you if you are an adult woman and you have decided that you do not want children. That is 100% your choice. Mm -hmm. Um, If pregnancy could be a health risk for you um, or if you or your partner kind of have um, any genetic disorder that you don't want to pass on to a child. um, Those are just some reasons that, you know, if you're done having kids, you're done having kids. I've had a lot of patients that are like, you know, I was, I had a C-section and I told her, you know what, while you're in there, just go ahead and make sure that we're not going to do this ever again. <laughs> so, um, usually done laparoscopically, um, or kind of in the midst of a C-section is, is also pretty common. Um, basically they just kind of grab hold, hold of those fallopian tubes and they can apply a band, a tie, a clamp, cut it, or even seal it off. Very interesting. Yep. So the flip side of that for males would be a vasectomy. Um, Extremely minor procedure. Essentially, they make tiny, tiny cut and they, um, the tube that goes to the scrotum that carries that sperm. So just the sperm, not the actual like ejaculate fluid, just the sperm tube is again, tied off or cut. I don't know that you would need therapy after this I'm gonna it's pretty minor if you have some scarring same rules apply maybe just try and make sure that is still mobile but again that's a very minor minor procedure and because that incision is made in the scrotum which is external 
you're really not getting a lot of that scar tissue buildup that could affect the pelvic floor muscles versus with a tubal ligation. Again, they kind of got to go in there and dig around a little bit to move everything to find the things that they need to find. So So in terms of if you're a couple trying to decide which would be easiest, make him do it. A vasectomy is going to be the least traumatic and probably not require any kind of extra follow-up care versus the tubal ligation, which is more of a surgical procedure versus just kind of a, a snip. Yeah. And it's also equally as effective. Yes. So make him do it. So, so that, I just thought it's I'd my today. <laughs> throw that in there. Um, we talked about men and as far as prostate removal in a previous episode and why you would need to come to therapy for that. So we're not touching on that today. If you have questions, if you're a guy, see that episode and we'll hopefully answer your questions there. Um, last surgery I want to talk about is a bladder sling. And this is, I've had so many patients come in and tell like in that first eval and we have one doctor here in, in Amarillo in particular. She's a urogynecologist, which is like the coolest thing ever. I'm like worship the ground she walks on. And she, so she's a gynecologist, but she does also, is also a urologist and does surgeries. And so, so if you're a woman and you, a woman and you have a problem with it, she can help you. Literally, basically go see her. She's lovely. Her name's Dr. Gaines, Amarillo Urology. She did not pay us to say that, by the no. way. She has no idea we even said that. That's just our free we sponsorship. We just love her. We love her. <laughs> and, uh, so I had so many patients kind of come in from her that she sent over here and God bless her because she refuses to do surgery on people until they try pelvic floor therapy first, which we love her for. And so many of them have been like, I told her to just put a sling in there to just stitch up my bladder. That's going to prevent incontinence. And it's like, okay, no, (laughs) that's not always the case. A bladder sling surgery is basically a piece of mesh or even human tissue that's usually inserted under the urethra to support the urethra and the neck of the bladder to prevent leaks. Basically what it does is it kinks the urethra. And so if you think about it, kind of like what we talked about, your urethra is kind of like the garden hose. And so if you kink that, it can be difficult to empty all the way to have that strong urinary stream. Um, it can cause some complications there. It is also used to support the bladder in case of a pelvic organ prolapse. Again, something that we can also treat with pelvic floor physical therapy. So we talked about hysterectomies earlier and that getting into the bladder sling, that's really the issue with a hysterectomy. If you can't, if you can avoid it, that's why you want it. Because the way the uterus sits in there, it provides some natural support to the bladder in a way that's not kinking that urethra. So when you remove the uterus, you're putting the bladder at risk for these problems. So often after hysterectomy, not always, but people will have to have a bladder suspension, bladder sling, whatever to add the support since the support from the uterus is gone. Now, once they do the sling, unfortunately, that's not even always a permanent solution. It often has to be repaired or redone completely. And so that is why we um, love Dr. Gaines so much is because she really tries to give her, and not just her, so many 
of our clinicians here, so many clinicians do this. They try to give their patient every possible option because they see this. They know better than we do that sometimes it's kind of a domino effect. Once you start cutting, you have to keep cutting. And so um, just making sure that you're doing everything possible to support the bladder with the pelvic floor to avoid surgery. But if you have to have surgery, making sure everything else is functioning properly following surgery can extremely, extremely improve your outcomes. Beautifully said. (laughs) Beautifully said. And that kind of leads us into why the heck are pelvic floor physical therapists talking about abdominal surgeries? Because of adhesions. Adhesions are bands of scar-like tissue that form inside the abdomen between two or more organs or between organs and the abdominal wall. Normally, the surface of organs and the abdominal wall, they don't stick together when you move. So like if you lay down on your side and you kind of notice how your belly kind of flops over a little bit and you can like really see your hip bone that's up high and you can't see your other hip bone because all your guts are over there. That's how it should move. Um, With abdominal adhesions, it can cause those surfaces to become adherent and stick together. Abdominal adhesions develop in more than 9 out of 10 people who have surgery that open the abdomen. So that's 90%. Um, And almost all these surgeries we've talked about open the abdomen. Yeah. So that is why we want, we're trying to drive home this point of mobility, mobility, mobility. Um, Because that's going to... Your, your organs need to move. If it's like that before surgery, you want it like that after surgery. The, exactly. the good parts. Exactly. Like you want your body to function like it did before surgery. Yeah. You, and so trying to mitigate the formation of adhesions after surgery is so important because once they're there, it's significantly harder to deal with them. Yep. So. Yep. Um, A lot of this information is coming from a website called the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Um, Basically, a couple causes of abdominal adhesions themselves. Number one is abdominal surgery. Number one, Um, any inflammatory conditions, infections, Crohn's disease, diverticular disease, endometriosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, peritonitis, which is an inflammation of the lining of your abdomen, and it can also be present at birth. So again, there's a lot of things that are kind of, again, those comorbidities that we treat that kind of go hand in hand that can cause some of these adhesions. They can be identified through a medical history. Okay, right, like what kind of surgeries have you had? What are your symptoms? A physical exam, um, as well as any blood tests or imaging to kind of rule out any other problems. Unfortunately, one of the main treatments that we have for reducing abdominal adhesions is surgery. To break up those adhesions, to break up that scar tissue, which is just going to cause more adhesions. In I know the that's first all, place. it's such a catch 22 to me. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yep. So. so, addressing any GI obstructions because you can kind of get that impacted bowel with restrictions. Um, 
and abdominal mobilizations and soft tissue mobility because, and I literally tell my patients that have had like a lot of surgeries. I'm like, you lay down. I'm just going to play with your belly (laughs) for a little bit. I'm just going to play with it. I'm going to move it over here. I'm going to move it over here. Let me know what you're feeling. And a lot of times on that side that they've had those incisions, it's like, oh, that feels different that's a little bit uncomfortable. That feels a little bit tight. And I'm like, yeah, do you see the difference when I move your belly to the left, how it goes all the way? And then I move it to the right and it doesn't go to the right. Yeah. So we're going to hang out here for a little while. And so doing some of that kind of soft tissue mobility, addressing restrictions, things like that can, can definitely help a a non-surgical way to help. Yeah. And just like, it's all about trying to restore that function just like with any orthopedic condition and if we have not driven home that point enough that is what we're trying to get at and the earlier the better the more successful the more we're going to be able to do the the earlier you're in here so I think kind of tying a nice little bow on on everything um this actually comes from herman and wallace which is one of the educational um bodies in pelvic floor rehab they say the abdominal pelvic canister is a functional and anatomical construct based on the components of the abdominal and pelvic cavities that work together synergistically. And I just think that that is a beautifully well said statement because, again, it really is a canister. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how it's kind of like an, um, an unpopped soda can. And when the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, the core muscles, the abdominal cavity, when everything is working together, it's tight, it's strong, and we we can do all the things. And so it, it really does kind of, again, that's why we're talking about surgeries when we're pelvic floor therapists is because it has a huge effect. It absolutely does. Yeah. So um, our PSA for this week is just because you've had a C-section or some type of abdominal surgery doesn't mean you don't need pelvic floor therapy. Just because it's not a knee replacement doesn't mean you don't need therapy for it. Please and thank you. Do you, so have a, you shared your yes. patient win this week. Remind me of what it was again. It was my patient. Um, she'd been having horrible cramps. And since we started addressing her pelvic floor and normalizing um, that function, getting some of that under control, she had no cramps with her period. Beautiful. She said she had slight discomfort on day two, but usually she has cramps that take her out. Like she's out for the day, popping pain pills. Um, And she just had slight discomfort on the second day and didn't even have to take anything for it. And she could still function. I love that. Yeah. That was beautiful. That's great. My patient win, I had a patient that had pretty significant incontinence. She was going through about eight pads a day. She's now down to one. And that is more of like a just in case I'm going to keep it on in the off chance that I do leak. I love that. I love that your patient win, it wasn't like a complete... Because it, it just shows the process. Like sometimes, exactly. sometimes you've got to, no, not sometimes, all the time, you've got to celebrate those little victories yeah. because healing is a process, recovery is a process. Um, and so I think that's really important to note. Maybe we've reduced your incontinence by half. We're not to that finish line yet, which you've done more than half, but we're getting there. And I think progress should always be celebrated. Absolutely. No matter how small it is. And I tell them like, even if you can hold it for like two more minutes, I will take that. I'm happy with it. Small Mm -hmm. little, small victories. That's amazing. Okay. 
thank you guys for listening i hope this was educational hope you learned something um i love doing these because i always learn something every episode yeah so thanks for listening feel free to leave us a review rating subscribe follow us on social media um and we'll see you guys next week bye